What is up, guys? This is the Wise and Well podcast, and I am your host, Herman Lin. My mission is to help make fitness and nutrition way more simple and realistic for you so that you can improve both your physical and mental health. Each week, I interview a guest to bring you actionable insights that you can apply every day to build the healthiest and most fulfilling life. Let's go. What is up, guys? Today we have a very special episode. We have Casey Orvitas, who is a fitness and nutrition coach, but she also has a PhD in psychology. There's a lot of coaches online who call themselves mindset experts, but she truly has been researching the behavior side of making healthy changes for years. We kick it off with focusing on why behavior change is the key to making real lasting healthy habits. The number one factor that is almost always at the root of preventing you from making true progress. We talk about goal setting and the right way to set goals to improve your chances of actually succeeding those goals. And we cover some of the behaviors of people who lose weight and actually manage to maintain that weight loss. I learned a lot from Casey and I'm already applying it in my own coaching practice. So I'm sure you're going to take away a ton of value from today's episode too. Just a quick reminder, guys, if you are enjoying the show, leave a great review and hit subscribe to be notified of future episodes. It goes a long way. All right, let's do it. We're going to talk a lot about behavior change. We're going to talk a lot about how there's so much on, there's a lot of tactical advice out there and on what people should do to lose weight or build muscle or get healthy. But, you know, as you know, and I'm sure as people have found out, it's not just that, right? Um, So you are kind of like the the go-to expert out there on how to actually make those things happen um, from a behavior standpoint. So very excited to have you on. Yeah, yeah, I'm super stoked. I love that we're we're starting it off um, on that foot, not not the the foot that I'm the expert. That's actually very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> but on the <laughs> foot that it's not, you know, ever, there's all the tactical stuff out there related to. Um, nutrition and strength training and things like that. When the reality is you can have all that information in the world, you can have all of that. But if you don't have some of these like behavior change and mindset things in place first, a lot of that other information on nutrition and training and things like that does tend to fall flat. So it really is the foundational piece. Yeah. Yeah. So first question is, uh, how is everybody suddenly a mindset expert? Oh God, <laughs> that's what we're going to kick it off with. <laughs> I mean, um, we can go there. I'm happy to go there. I can yeah. get no, pretty is, I, mean, it, I, loved, I saw that. I saw you put that post out there and it was, it was very eye opening because it's, it is interesting. You know, like I think people think about mindset and it is, it's a buzzword. Um, but I think also it's something that is appealing, right? Because people know mm-hmm. we need to think of our behaviors more and more. And I think mental health in general is becoming a bigger conversation. Um, so it is interesting because I think people just kind of assume like they're good at talking about mindset, right? Um, without yeah. actually learning yeah. the science behind it. So um, do you want to talk about that to start? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, where do we want to start with that? Um, but you're right. I think a lot of it comes from a really good place, right? we are becoming more clear and more understanding on how your mental health plays a role in everything else in your life, including your health and fitness behaviors, right? So I think we even see it now where people are talking about therapy much more openly. Um, It's become more of a cool thing rather than like, there's something wrong with you. Um, So many people have like, oh my gosh, like the holistic psychologist, she is blown up and she's always Mm -hmm. talking about like ways to um, kind of like uncover some of your your past like traumatic experiences in your life and how you can like start to do some self-healing and people love her and she's fantastic and like people have really started to adopt a lot of those um areas i suppose and just like find them more important which i think is very important i think most people would agree like great i'm glad we're doing that um but at the same time i think with that rising we're also seeing the rise of the mindset coach um and it's interesting too, because I think 
anyone who's maybe listening that is a health and fitness coach, you understand, or even if you've been a client and you've had a coach before, you everyone understands how all these different aspects of your life will impact your health and fitness goals and trajectory, right? What's going on in your relationships, your work life, your schedule, your your day-to-day stuff is going to impact how successful you are with your health and fitness goals. So I think for a long time, health and fitness coaches have kind of been like, am I a nutrition coach or a life coach? Like what's going on here? There seems to be a little bit of like, we're like colliding a little bit. Um, especially the, the good coaches, right? The coaches who are really listening and the coaches that are really taking the time to get to know their clients and ask questions different for the coaches who are just like, here's your meal plan. See you next week. Like that's a totally different discussion. Um, I don't think they feel like life coaches, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. those that are, are really, really trying with their clients and trying to get to know them and cultivate that relationship with them, which is what you should be doing. They are noticing that like, yes, there's so much more to the picture here. And that is where I think the rise of the mindset coach kind of is coming from, right? Is recognizing these things and thinking like, I am doing so much more than calculating macros and creating a training program that produces progressive overload. Like my job description goes way beyond that at this point. So why don't we slap mindset coach after my name as well? So, which is all fine and good. And honestly, a lot of times what I've noticed, because I I do have a certification, it's called the health mindset coaching certification for coaches, coaches who come into my program. It's not like all of them are those coach. Honestly, none of them are those coaches who just give you a meal plan and walk away, right? They're already doing things that do work in some capacity. Like I'm honestly, always surprised, like, wow, you're, you're already implementing that into your coaching practices. That's amazing. You know, now mm-hmm. we can talk about how we can take a, a step further and make it even better. Um, so mm-hmm. it's not to say that everyone out there who calls themselves a mindset coach is bullshit, basically, unless you take my certification, right? Like, that's definitely not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've seen it firsthand. But that said, there are a lot of coaches out there who are truly just slapping the mindset coach title on their Instagram bio and calling it good without truly having any education and training in the area. And again, they could be doing okay. What I'm saying is if you have the training, you have the understanding, you have the education, you've actually like put in the work and the effort to understand the correct strategies and skills that are necessary to shift someone's mindset and to really help them from a behavior Mm -hmm. change perspective, it will make all of the difference in the world. So that's kind of like where I come from too. It's a little bit difficult because honestly, when I was getting my PhD and like the first couple of years were like 2015, 2016, mindset was not that popular. <laughs> it was not all over the place on the internet. So it's interesting that as like the years have gone on, how popular it's been become. And I'm over here like, yeah, guys, I've been researching this stuff for nearly five years. It <laughs> is important. I'm glad you're all catching yeah. on now. Um, so there is a little bit of like, it, it can be tough for me when I'm like that, or like I see someone who calls themselves a mindset coach and then are like blatantly sharing content that maybe almost um, can induce like a fixed mindset in someone. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are we doing here? And that's where I can actually get upset. <laughs> I'm really not like I'm gonna be over there like a keyboard warrior or anything. But I see those things. And I'm yeah. like, this is why we need the certification. You know, this is why we need education for coaches, because we do have those people who are out there, and they don't even realize it, right. And that's the that's the biggest issue there. We just truly need more education. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it's to your point, I think a lot of it comes from you know, really having good intentions. And I, you know, I, I try to teach a lot of mindset stuff. I wouldn't consider myself a mindset coach by any means. Um, cause there's a lot of science and behavior and I try to, you know, I, I try to research some of those things for sure. Um, but a lot of what I talk about in my posts, I think comes from experience, you know, with clients and, and here's the things that I've seen that it's not just, it's not just the numbers, right? It's not just giving a set of macros. It's not just saying, Hey, like, you know, I think the the hardest thing is when you see a lot of accounts that just say, keep reminding you that you're not in a calorie deficit, right? It's like, well, we know, you know, like, thank you. (laughs) But how do you get in one now, right? Like if people have been trying Uh to, and the same way that, you know, people have kind of this image that if someone's obese, they're just lazy, right? Like this, Mm. it's just, it's such a ridiculous notion. Oversimplification. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
So, and once you work with people, you see that, right? Like you see mm-hmm. like, wait, so you've tried how many diets and you, <laughs> oh, you've done this and this, and you've been doing this for how many years, you know? And there's, you know, there's, there's behavior changes that you could talk about. There's, there's roadblocks, there's things that you could work through, but it's never just as simple as just, oh, they just didn't have the right answer. You know, they just, mm-hmm. they just need to do this diet instead. Right. Um, so it's, it's something that's always evolving. So I think that's why it's, it's awesome to have someone like you who has been doing the actual research and saying, Hey guys, there is some science behind this. And it is, there is a way that makes it easier for people. Um, cause I think that really is kind of the future of coaching, you know, and to your point, mm-hmm. a lot of people that get into this, it's because we want to help people. And I think we tend to be more empathetic, right? Um, we make mistakes. We try, we try our best a lot of the times. Um, so I think the more we can put science behind it, the same way we have around the nutrition part and the fitness part, the better we're going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting point too, is that I think all coaches understand that like, yeah, there's a science to nutrition and there's a science to like exercise and like understanding like how to craft a program for maximal like hypertrophy and like what that means for rep ranges and all of these things. And that there's like muscle contractions and all of this stuff like is, is science. Right. And then it's kind of forgotten that there's actually a science called psychology (laughs) that really matters a lot too. And I think because, you know, they're the hard sciences are your like biology and physiology and things like that. And then you think about softer sciences like psychology, sociology, um, those areas, like there's still a science, you know, I didn't get a PhD and just like sit in an office the entire time. Like I quite literally did research and there was statistics involved and the the whole shebang, right? Experiments, you name it. Um, And people just don't recognize it. And I, and I'm sensitive to that. I'm not supposed to be like, well, didn't you know that there's a science behind this? Like I understand that people don't even know. And that's totally fine. I mean, that was me too. I honestly went into hunting for a PhD program without having any idea that there was a science of mindset. And I really Mm. just wanted to really look into the behavior change aspect of health and fitness Mm -hmm. behaviors and honestly answer the question of, if everyone knows that eating healthy and exercising makes their life better, makes them feel better, makes them live longer. But yet we have this huge issue of people not doing it. Like what's the disconnect here? It's not that those people don't know. It's not a knowledge issue. It's very much a psychology issue. It's a mindset issue. It's a behavior change issue. So I knew that going into my PhD program and honestly stumbled across the the mindset lab and was like, this is where I need to be. This is, this is the stuff. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely don't fault coaches for this at all, but it is uh, something really important to me is to just like make it known, allow coaches to become more aware that this stuff is out there and that could actually like reignite their love for coaching in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. so many coaches are out there so frustrated related to um, clients that self-sabotage or have all or nothing thinking and get in their own ways and self-limiting beliefs and fixed mindsets. And they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. This is just a them thing. Like I, I was never taught how to do this. I know how to calculate macros and create a training program. Like that's what I do. Right. Maybe we can just like, adjust their training split or give them a carb cycling approach and maybe then they'll be more adherent and the reality is like no we just we need to figure out like what's really going on from a psychological perspective so mm-hmm. and that all comes down to the evidence-based practices and the science of it yeah yeah i mean to me there's like you know there's a couple of different types of coaches i feel like i've talked to um and in general you know it's it's either the person who just loves the analytical side of it and here's the numbers and they, they do it themselves to the T, right? Like they easily hit single digit body fat percents. And when they want to gain a little bit more weight, it's very calculated. They eat the same thing every day. Right. (laughs) And when they have clients, like they'll tend to gravitate towards someone like an athlete, right? Because that person is very likely just, Hey, just give me the food I need to eat. Like I got to go to practice. Mm -hmm. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But then when you give them like a lifestyle client, that's like the 95% of the rest of the population, (laughs) 
it doesn't work because they're mm-hmm. like, I don't, well, you just didn't follow the recommendation. Right. So I don't know, just follow it. And right. then exactly. you have like the, you have the very opposite side, right. Which is, which is again, like you just want to help people get results. And so I think to your point, like anyone that's kind of looking like that is, is going to tend and say, okay, got it. So maybe the numbers aren't as important at getting the results, right. As much as the behavior aspect of it is, I'm going to focus my energy there because that's ultimately what I want to do. Um, so I love your perspective on kind of, you know, there's a couple of scenarios that you probably see very often in clients um, that makes it hard for them to hit their goals. So it would be great for you to just kind of explain, like, how would somebody work through some of the most common ones? And one, I guess I would even ask you, when someone comes and says, you know, I want to lose fat or I want to build muscle or just want to get healthier, like in general, you know, do you typically see, is there maybe one or two things that are the usual roadblock mentality? Mm-hmm. I would say, honestly, we could go a lot of different directions with like the roadblocks that do show up. But something that I see time and time again, and I'm definitely biased as a mindset researcher is that it does come back to having a fixed mindset. It like a lot of these things, like I try to think about, call it victim mentality, call it all or nothing thinking. Mm. I mean, self limiting beliefs, um, poor body image, like all of these roadblocks to seeing more success in your health and fitness goals. Every single one that I just mentioned, and like, honestly, you could throw some more at me and I could probably explain to you how that's probably related to a fixed mindset as well. I think a lot of them funnel back down to having a fixed mindset. And when I say fixed mindset, I mean that in some way, shape or form, you don't actually believe that you can be successful in that specific area that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So whether that's weight loss, um, it's improving like your, your squat or um, just like living healthier saying no to like extra drinks on the weekend, whatever the specific behavior is in the back of your mind somewhere, even if you're not totally aware of it, you don't actually believe you can change those things. So if that's sitting there somewhere, and again, a lot of times clients, coaches too, don't realize that it is back there sitting there. And so they're like, why they're frustrated. Like, I can't figure out why I can't stick with it or why, why my client can't stick with it. And it's because it's somewhat hidden and you have to start to pull it out and start to look for it. Um, You can't improve what you don't know needs improving. So there really needs to be some awareness work here, which really is the first step for everything um, to really tease out where that fixed mindset is showing up. Um, And I think that that like, I know that seems like it might be sort of like a cop out answer. I'm like, no, it's actually just this one thing all the time. But I do think it's like at the foundation of a lot of stuff. And if we can start to shift that belief from more fixed to growth, then we start to see some of these things like body image issues, um, victim mentality, what else did I say, like self sabotaging behaviors, all or nothing thinking start to like, not maybe not go away entirely, but really start Mm -hmm. to improve because they're coming at it from a totally different perspective. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's essentially shifting your identity right? And yeah. being able mm-hmm. to let go of what your old identity was and your identity has been built over a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've had a few people on the show who have lost hundreds of pounds. And That's cool. one of the biggest things they said was like, I literally had to turn into a different person before I did it, you know? Um, and that's such an important point because before then, like you, you identify with what your current life is, what your, you know, even go to what you look at on social media, what your family talks about, right? What, mm-hmm. what shows you watch, like all these things influence your universe. And it's really hard to imagine a different life when you're currently living one, right? Like you can't imagine like, oh, I could have a different job. Oh, wait, what if I wasn't in this relationship? Right. Mm-hmm. Like even like yeah. to those degrees, like there's, it's really hard to like actually fathom that until mm-hmm. it happens. And then you realize, oh wait, anything's really possible, right? Like I could do those things. It'd be hard. I would have to put in work. I'd have to probably figure out different things I'm doing right now, but I could do Mm -hmm. them. And until you can get to that point, it's really hard because every single time you're just going to kind of dip your toes into the water, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to try to diet out for two weeks and then be like, ah, 
I don't really like eating like this. Right. And then, then the <laughs> yeah. results aren't going to come that quick. Right. So mm-hmm. it will be really same with, you know, I, I think even like building muscle, right. Like trying, I did this for years. Like I would start a starter strength training program and I would probably last three weeks, you know, but in my head, I never believed that I could be this person that could like train consistently two, three to four days a week and keep building muscle. Like in my head, I would say stories to myself of like, well, like I don't, I don't really care about being like ripped or like being mm. big, like those people that are always in the gym, right? Like who cares about that? Um, <laughs> you know? And, and it was like always kind of just like a defense mechanism of like, dude, you don't need to do this. Right. Um, versus fast forward, like, I can't imagine not doing it that now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I had to literally tell that story and change the story in my own head before that could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. It kind of falls falls in line with something. I think this comes from maybe, don't quote me on this, like cognitive behavioral therapy in some way, but they talk about this idea of be, do, have. And a lot of times what people are looking for is they want to have the thing so then they can do stuff related to it and then actually Mm. then finally become the person who does that stuff right so quite literally the opposite of what you actually probably need to do which is literally become the person first like make the decision start thinking start acting start like finding people that are like the person that you want to be And then you can start to do the behaviors that that person's going to do. And then you can finally have the result that you're looking for versus like, again, people looking to have the result first before, okay, now I can finally be that person and like do these things on a consistent basis. Right. So it really is like people are looking to do this totally backwards. And it's, if you could just like really start to think, well, who is that person that lost hundreds and hundreds of pounds? Like what does their lifestyle look like? How are they Mm -hmm. sustaining it? What are they doing on a day-to-day basis? And you start to think about all of this stuff and you're like, okay, so I need to just start doing those things. And honestly, it's, it's as easy as that. I know it's like, there's more complexities to it, but truly it's like, you're thinking about, okay, that person drinks at least a gallon of water a day. They go to the gym consistently, at least four times a week. They're only drinking maybe once per week. And it's never more than like two to three drinks, like absolute max. They found friends that want to do like activities with them where they're outside and they're getting movement in. And then if you look back on your life and you're like, I'm literally doing not a single one of those things, then like start there, which one? Just start one, just pick one, one of the six and then make your way to all of them and then watch how your life really starts to unfold as if you were that person. Yeah, I think that is such an amazing point, especially just this, you know, being able to start something because I think that's often the hardest part. Um, And that kind of ties into really like the all or nothing mentality, right? Because I hear that so much from people that come, they're like always... I, I do it, you know, I'll, but I, and I, I'll do it for like three weeks and then I just don't have motivation or like, mm-hmm. it's too much or I'll burn out or I'll get injured in the gym. Right. And it's, you know, I'm sure you can explain it, but I'm a lot of it's just coming from doing way too much at one time. Yeah. Um, so that I'm assuming you would agree. That's probably the importance of like starting super, super slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, and it's not always just like start super, super slow. There's actually some research to support that choosing moderately challenging goals is usually your best bet, right? Because I wouldn't want someone to hear this and be like, okay, super, super slow. Well, I guess I can start including like a handful of raspberries every day in my life, you know, yeah. but that may be something that it's just so simple for them, like so stupid slow that they get bored and they're like, okay, well, this doesn't really seem like it's doing that much. Mm-hmm. I'm not really like adding to my life, but I guess I can't really do more though because then it's too fast. Um, so you really want to choose moderately challenging goals. That sounds vague for a reason because that's also going to be very different depending on the person, right? Yeah. Like your moderately challenging is likely different than mine and like our clients are going to be something different. So understanding like something that's essentially like feels a little like it's a a stretch for you, like a little stretchy, but at the same time, it's not like 
oh, that's not possible for me, right? You want it to feel like you're putting in effort because then when you are doing those things, you really do feel like you're gaining momentum and you can feel very proud of yourself versus if it Mm. is something like that handful of raspberries, you're like, okay, I guess go me. (laughs) But if you're doing something like I need to get to the gym six days a week when you're currently going zero, like you're constantly probably just going to disappoint yourself. And like, that's just a fast track to falling off the wagon altogether. Yeah. Is that why it's so important to see early wins? Yes. Yeah. And actually in the research, we call these either um, like small wins or sometimes depending on the way that you look at it, they could also be sub goals. So essentially breaking Mm. up your long-term goal into like short goals. Um, And actually some interesting research with this as well is that we've seen research on both sides being like, yes, you should set these small goals and focus just on the small goals along the way. But then we also see research that's like, no, focus on that big outcome goal, that thing at the end of the tunnel that like you're working so hard for that. Keep that in mind, focus on that. And the reason why we see research supporting both of these things is that because it really does come down to timing of when you're focusing on these things. So there was another researcher who came in and saw this discrepancy and was like, what is going on here? There's no way that both of these are the best way to do it because they essentially go against each other. Like you guess Mm. you could kind of like focus on short-term goals and a long-term goal at the same time, but it's, it's becomes a lot. So how, how is this? happening. And so he did some research and found, I think it was a he, could be a she, um, found that it's actually a timing thing, which what I mean by that is that when someone is just getting started, let's say they have a 12 month goal, just just using something very simple and clear cut for this example. And that long-term outcome goal is at month 12. And let's say they were just starting to get into this goal pursuit they're three to four, maybe up to six months in, it's actually not beneficial for those people to be focusing on that thing that they're going to achieve at the end of 12 months. For those people who are just getting started, it is best to focus on the things that we've kind of like broken down, maybe monthly goals or weekly goals, things like that. So you can really start to build momentum and gain traction and feel like you're actually doing something. Because otherwise, if you're just getting started first three to four, maybe up to six months, and you're so focused on that long term goal, you're just gonna be constantly feeling like you're barely making progress. Like, God, Mm. I'm still like X amount, like 100 days away or whatever. And that seems like so far away versus like, oh, this next goal is only like five days away, right? So once you kind of get over that hump, and it is going to kind of be different depending on the person, let's say, six months to seven months, eight months, nine months, 10 months, like at that point, shifting your focus from those short term goals to that long term goal is actually more beneficial and is more motivating, because you can kind of actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas before, you were like looking for it. And you're like, it's still so far away, I can't even freaking see it. This is so frustrating. But once you get to a point where you can actually see it, and it starts to feel more doable, and manageable, like, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen focusing on it at that point is the best thing to do versus like continuing to like just stay in the trenches with those like short term goals. So I think that research is like super fascinating, especially from like a social media perspective where we see people talking about kind of both messages all the time too, where it's like, no, just like focus on these like short term goals. Like you don't need to be like hyper focused on the long term goal. And then you see other people who are like, no, write out your long term goal put it on a sticky note, put it on 18 sticky notes and put it everywhere you're going to look all the time. Like yeah. never forget about what that long-term goal is. So it's kind of like, okay, but which one is better? And the truth is it's kind of dependent on where you're at in your journey. That's so interesting. And it, you know, I think a really good parallel is I ran one marathon and I will never do it again, but it was, it, it just reminds me of, you know, at, I used a really similar tactic and that's kind of what people will tell you to do as you run a marathon is like, don't think about the 26 miles, right? Like pick like a tree in the distance yeah. and run to that tree and then pick the next one. But then to your point, you know, once you hit everyone that's run a marathon knows that once you hit mile 20, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> those like those last six <laughs> miles are just survival. And so to, to your point, like you, you don't, I didn't do any of that. Like my, like my vision was gone. Like it was just like, dude, put your head down and just go, mm-hmm. like, just get there, just mm-hmm. get there. And cause by that point you smell it, right? Like you already know you you've already come so far. Like there is no other choice, right? Like, what are you gonna do? Go right. back. 
at this point. So <laughs> it is because, you know, I, I think like I do love process goals. And I think to your point, um, you know, choosing something that's moderately difficult, right. That mm-hmm. gives you a challenge. That's why I love starting with protein. Um, because mm. I think it's one that most people have an opportunity because they're under eating. Usually mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to hit that protein yeah, number if you're not really. eating that. Right. So people are like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm trying, like, I feel kind of yeah. full, but like, Hey, I'm, I am hitting it. I, you know, I feel better. I, and because of that, right. Then too, you probably end up eating less because you're more full. Mm-hmm. You start seeing some of the weight fall off. So you start getting motivated because of that reason. Right. And it's also not a diet that sucks because you're not hungry all the time. So mm-hmm. you kind of get that little glimmer of hope. Um, and then that's super interesting. That's the, you don't want to keep, you know, like, I guess to that point, like you would say, okay, let's focus on the first five pounds. Right. If it's mm-hmm. a fat loss goal. Right. And then you kind of go from there, but then at some point you do shift towards the ultimate goal. Um, and I'm guessing from kind of how you explained it, part of that is because you started making an identity shift, right? Like mm. you started actually seeing the wins and saying, I can definitely do this. Right. And so mm-hmm. by that point, why not shoot for the big one? Right. You've already proved to yourself multiple times that you can hit a goal. So by that point, you've built enough confidence to be like, let's just go for the bigger one now. Yeah. I really like that. Um, kind of parallel of identity and mindset is kind of where this is going. And very much so we see from a growth mindset perspective, like you, in order to start to cultivate a growth mindset, it's really helpful to have proof that you are capable of doing Mm. it. Right. Cause if we're coming from fixed mindset land over here, where it's just like, I'm not capable of doing this. I'm not capable of being successful. I can't change. And then you start doing some of maybe these little mini goals, these sub goals along the way. And you're like, oh, wait, I just did that. And I did something again. And like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm actually capable of doing this. And now it can make more sense to focus on that long-term goal. Because to your point, it is sort of like, it's shifting your identity slash mindset slash perspective here of like what you're capable of doing and seeing yourself as someone who maybe is capable of doing that. And it's like, it's very interesting because I would probably argue, and I think most like researchers in this area would argue that identity and mindset are two separate constructs and they Mm. are talking about two different things, but there is a lot of like overlap in the way that we, we speak about mindset, because if someone says, I'm not the type of person to do this stuff, I'm not the type of person to exercise consistently. I've never been an exerciser. Mm -hmm. Those are very strong fixed mindset statements, right? But those are also very strong identity statements. And very similarly, someone who thinks like, I do a really good job with like bouncing back from setbacks and taking feedback as information for me to improve rather than feeling like let down or that I'm not good enough, or I'll, I'll never be good enough. So that type of person, that's very much feels like identity as well, but it's really having a growth mindset. And actually, some of the research that I've done does show that there's a very strong connection from what did I call it fitness? It's like fitness identity, fitness, like self identity, something that was the variable in this um, Mm -hmm. research that I did during my PhD, that was very strongly related to having a growth mindset about your ability to be a fitter person to become more fit, right? So we see this connection too. And it was all related to exercise frequency. So someone with a growth mindset about their fitness level, there was um, what we call moderators and or mediators, sorry, this was a mediation, not a moderation. Um, From this fitness identity, someone who had a strong fitness identity, yes, I have this um, growth mindset about my fitness, I do think that I can change. There was a strong connection with that the growth mindset to that identity piece, the self identity piece. And because of that connection, that is what in turn caused more exercise frequency. So at Mm. face value, what we see is that someone with a growth mindset about exercise tends to exercise more. Like that was like the main relationship we saw. But then when you start adding in some of these other variables like identity, now we see like, oh, actually, yes, having a strong fitness identity leads to more increased exercise. 
But that's because the mindset is causing the identity and the identity is then causing the exercise frequency. So very, very interesting. It was, gosh, I can't remember all of it because there's differences between like partial mediation and full mediation. I can't remember um, at this point, but it was a significant um, mediation model, meaning that it really was that identity piece was very important. And it's not just that your mindset causes this, right? It's your mindset causes other stuff to happen, which then causes you to exercise more. Sorry, that got like very (laughs) tangential, but. (laughs) I mean, it's fascinating because it it shows how much all this is intertwined um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think there's, there's so many, there's a lot of like weight loss studies, right? And they, they really, it always looks at like mechanisms and it's always like, does this diet work? Does this macro ratio work? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, surprise, they show that everything works if you're in a calorie deficit, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's only been a few though that have actually looked at how people that have maintained weight loss mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. most of these studies are based off of like an eight to 12 week study where mm-hmm. they give people a calorie deficit, they follow it, and then they don't talk to you for like five years. And then they follow up with those people <laughs> and they're like, Hey, did you keep all that weight off? And like, of course they didn't, right? Because <laughs> you, course, you didn't yeah. actually do anything intervention, lifestyle intervention wise. So that's where like these mm-hmm. numbers come from that people keep pointing to saying that diets don't work, you you regain mm-hmm. all the weight. Um, but there's been a couple studies where they actually have had lifestyle interventions, like intense lifestyle interventions, where they talked about the importance of healthy nutrition. They had um, therapists assigned to the clients. They did a lot of mindset work with them and they, they did this for five years with them. So it wasn't just a eight to 12 week study. That's cool. And mm-hmm. in those studies, like 50% of the people kept the weight off, which is amazing because it shows how much more it is than just giving a, a prescribed calorie number. Right. Um, but then when they kind of looked and they said, okay, well, what do these people have in common that actually did lose the weight and keep the weight off? And yes, you know, some of them would continue monitoring their food intake, right? And they would look in the scale and see every time that they would maybe start creeping back up. They would go back to, to you know, trying to do some of the habits that they helped them lose the weight in the first place. And a lot of them, you know, like one of the biggest things was they had some kind of movement and some kind of workout routine. Mm. And I think that's so important to look at is because we often hear in this space that, you know, working out is not great for weight loss. Like you don't really burn that many calories. So stop trying to run it off on the treadmill. It's all about food. It's all about nutrition. It's all about just being in a calorie deficit. Right. But I think to your point is part of this is, is forging a new identity. It's Mm -hmm. you're that type of person. Now you are the type of person that, that runs and you're the type of person that lifts weights now and you, can walk every day. Like you do those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe all those things aren't like necessarily tactical, amazing things for weight loss, but they seem to be really, really important in carving an identity to actually maintain it in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like coming from like a, a maintenance perspective, um, what that looks like, what the identity looks like someone who would actually be maintaining. And that could be like a very good question um, for anyone who's listening to even just think, if I were to lose the weight and then maintain it, like, what does my lifestyle look like? Like, not just like mm. the the weight loss itself, but after the fact, like, what does that person do to maintain it long term? Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a really interesting point that it's like, it's really not just about the weight loss itself, but it's what's happening for years to come. Cause that's really the, that's the kicker. Right. And we see that even in a lot of the research that most people do gain the weight back. And that's where we kind of get a lot of those people saying, well, see diets don't work. It's like, yeah, but they also didn't have a proper plan post diet either, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where a lot of that comes in. And I think the identity piece, like going forward from there, but that said, I do think that's where the diet itself is sort of the, can kind of help you start to cultivate that identity. And again, coming back Mm. to the idea of like proving some stuff to you, to yourself, um, that once you are like in the thick of it and you're doing things and you're catching momentum, like really paying attention to those small wins when they do happen and recognizing that this is you doing it and don't try to talk yourself out of it as if it's like someone else did it or it was just luck or something. And the more you can start to pick up on those things, you can start to 
like brick by brick, basically create that new identity for yourself. So like, once you are at the end of the diet, you're like, you already have this like half built identity. And it's just kind of a matter of like continuing to maintain it and build from there. Yeah. I mean, how much of this is, you know, how like a client success in general, and I guess for anyone listening that has a goal of doing something, I think oftentimes health goals come from a place of self-hate or shame, right? Whether it's growing up and being bullied for their weight or, you know, being told by their family to, to watch what they eat and things like that. And so a lot of times people come into it and they, they use such negative language whenever they speak about themselves. Right. And I often see that like, it's, it's really hard to actually sustain change when you're kind of just running off of that. Like there has Mm -hmm. to be some shift at some point where you start doing this to say, I'm doing this because I deserve to feel healthy. Like I want to, I want, my body is great. Like I, I wanted to move better, right? Like I, I, I should have better digestion and I want to have more Mm -hmm. energy during the day so that I can play with my kids at night. Right. And Mm -hmm. not that like, Oh, I have to do this. And I, and I always, I always eat the candy. Like I, I try to stop, but I just can't stop myself. And it's like that language that you talk to yourself, like how important is that? But also how do you change that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) As as long as you want. It is true though. I mean, it kind of comes with um, just a conversation about investment and I don't mean financial investment, but I certainly could mean financial investment too. Just investing in yourself, whatever that looks like, investing the time, the energy, the effort, the money, like whatever. If you don't feel worthy of an investment, again, it could be, you could be thinking about this from any kind of like type of investment, then you're not going to want to do that for yourself. You're not going to want to put the effort in. You're not going to want to put the time in. You're not going to want to pay the money for a coach, things like that. If you don't believe you're actually worth it. Right. And Mm. unfortunately we have those conversations with clients all the time at KJO coaching. I had, I've been having, I'm in the middle of the launch for my certification right now. We just opened the doors for this next cohort. And I have these conversations with coaches who it doesn't really come down to, it's not an issue of like, I can't afford it. It's an issue of, I don't actually believe in myself or think that I am like worth this kind of like education and this program and doing this type of stuff. Um, Mm. And I see that probably even more frequently on the client side of things where when it comes to coaching, is it really like a too, too much of a financial investment or is it that you don't really think you're worth the financial investment? And that's a really tough thing to grapple with. Um, And in conversations that can come up though, when we're talking about this, and talking about budgeting and that sort of thing. And it does end up getting to that point where it's like, well, actually, maybe it's a, maybe it's a me thing. And I just like, actually don't believe that I'm going to be successful doing this and that I think that, that I'll get something out of it. It's not, it has nothing to do with the coach it has actually nothing to do with the money. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. And of course, identity is wrapped up in that as well, because if your identity is someone who is not worth taking care of, you're not uh, fully believing in yourself and that your your efforts will pay off and that you're actually worthy of those efforts, then that's a whole nother thing to unpack, right? Um, but I guess as far as like how to start changing some of that negative self-talk, I mean, just like with everything else, you got to start paying attention to it. And I think it sounds simple, but it's really not when it's something like this, because it's actually really uncomfortable. And no one wants to pick out when they're saying something to themselves in their head and be like, okay, wait, stop. Let's think about that some more. Why do you feel that way? Where is that coming from? What else does this mean to you? What are you making it mean? No, we just want to be like, God, I'm not worth this, whatever, move on. Right. But really sitting with that and catching yourself when you do say those things to yourself, or maybe you're even saying some of these things out loud and really trying to figure out like, where did that come from? Why am I thinking that? Something that actually is really helpful from um, a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective that you can do with yourself is just just start thinking about the evidence for that thought, because you do have some evidence for it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be thinking it. It came from somewhere, right? So if the the thought is like, oh, I just like, I don't really think that I'm worth the investment right now, like just based on like my lifestyle and like 
what I'm willing to do, how likely I am to change. Okay, well, what evidence do you have for that? And it could be Mm. like, well, I've tried other programs before. I have wasted money before and not been successful. So like, that's fair evidence to think that way, right? But then also on the flip side, what evidence do you have against that? And it could be, well, I've actually never worked with a one-on-one coach before, like a personal coach. I've only done stuff like from templates and programs and Pinterest and things like that, that weren't really tailored to me. So I guess I can't fully compare the two. Um, also like, I know that this is a larger financial investment than I've ever made before. So maybe I'll pay more attention. You know, there's a lot of different things that you can kind of come up with there, but then kind of taking the two together, the evidence for the evidence against what's the most accurate depiction here. And what it sounds like is you've had some not so great experiences in the past that have shaped how you think about anything related to health and fitness now. And that's valid and that's fine, but also We don't want to totally write off something because we know that it could still be a very different experience because it's not the same thing again. There's no reason Mm. that you should have the same experience if you're doing something entirely different. So that even just going from I'm not worth the experience to walking through that and now feeling like, okay, so this is where this is kind of coming from and what it actually means to me and why can already start to make you feel a lot better and just kind of like bring you back to reality a little bit. And really start yeah. to see like the, the truth in your words. Because a lot of times like what we're telling ourselves like is just kind of like crap anyway. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the cornerstone of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? That you're you're not your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's very hard. You know, this is probably where the value of a coach really comes in the most is to help you actually look at your thoughts and say, hey, do you think that's rational? Right? Like, why are you telling yourself that story? And it, and you can do it yourself for sure. Like you don't need to mm-hmm. spend money on a coach. It's a lot easier, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that's, that's just one of the, one of the biggest things is when you're able to look at, like, I love the idea of taking evidence, right. And you're almost like forming a, you know, a debate with yourself uh, mm-hmm. and just looking at it objectively. Okay. Here's why you think this right now does that make sense? Right. Cause here's some, here's some cases where like, yeah, you know, maybe that did happen in the past, but mm-hmm. I think again, like it's, it's not tying yourself and your worth to the experience, right? Because maybe you just picked a bad program last time, right. Or mm. just because you tried keto and it royally failed, like doesn't mean that you can never lose any weight. Right. Same way that, if you picked some random bodybuilder program with like a five day bro split online (laughs) and you burned out after four days, it doesn't mean you're incapable of building muscle, right? It's just, you just need a different plan. And so Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes though, people will, will fail, right? Cause they'll just have the wrong plan, which is very easy to happen, right? I mean, you can Google anything so you can wind. I, I used to, I used to do that all the time. I had this one plan, I can't, it was like the something blue, it was like some blueprint that was a PDF version of, I can't remember who it was, but it was like a big, it was big in the bodybuilding world. Um, and it was way too much volume for someone who doesn't strength train. <laughs> oh, that's and funny. I would like, like once a year I would try it out and be like, I'm doing this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to build muscle. I'm going to strength train. And sure enough, by day seven, every single time, no matter what I was done, like I could barely move. And I was like, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just not, maybe this just isn't for me. You know, maybe I'm just like a cardio guy. And it was just the wrong program. It was way too much volume for where I was at, at that point in my journey. But I looked at it as there's something wrong with me, Mm, right? Like there's a reason why I can't do that versus just looking and saying, maybe it's just the wrong process. Maybe it's the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that would be a very growth mindset way of thinking about it. Right. So rather than like, Oh, I guess it's just a me thing. Knew it all along type of thing thinking, okay, I wonder, so this, this program didn't work. What other programs are out there? Okay, hundreds, thousands, millions. Like maybe this just isn't the right one for me. Maybe I need a higher professional to help me figure out what that is. So I'm not just like <laughs> bumbling around and yeah. picking random ones and seeing which one sticks. Um, and then kind of going at it from that direction. That's very much, like I said, a growth mindset way of looking at it and thinking, okay, so this was a little bit of a setback. It feels like kind of a waste of time, but that's okay. I learned something here. This program doesn't work. That actually is progress mm-hmm. because now I'm figuring out the things 
that don't work for me. Um, and that in and of itself is progress when you're trying to figure out what does, right? So kind of like shifting that and seeing it that way rather than like, well, knew it all along. I just, I'm just not cut out for this. Yeah, totally. What about when people say that they want to change, but then never seem to be able to actually pull the trigger on taking action? What's usually driving that? How many times can I say fixed mindset? No. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be the answer again. It really, really could be, right? So, I mean, it's really going to be dependent on the person. But if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, I really do want to change. I want a healthier lifestyle. I would love to be like the fit one of my friends, like that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but you're having a hard time like staying consistent, really like taking the actions to make that happen. I mean, have you taken any time to ask yourself why? Or if you had a friend who was in this position and they came to you and they were frustrated because they were saying, I really want this thing. I cannot figure out why it's so hard for me to stick with it because I know in my bones that this is really what I want to do. What would you ask your friend? I mm -hmm. think sometimes removing ourselves from the situation and acting as if we're talking to a loved one can be really helpful. And we're like giving advice to someone else. I know it seems sort of like elementary, but it is really helpful. And actually, in a lot of the mindset research that we do, that is like an exercise that we have people do is to sort of like write a letter to someone else who is struggling with a specific thing. Um, because in doing so, they almost start to convince themselves of those things as well. So yeah. that could be an option to kind of like think of it that way. I, again, just like humor me, just try it, just do it instead of being like, Oh, that sounds dumb. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, I just talked <laughs> to a friend. I haven't heard that one before. Um, yeah. Pretend like they're your friend, but I really do think it can be helpful if you take it seriously. And from there though, I think that they're, a lot of times is like an underlying core belief, call it fixed mindset, call it whatever. But a lot of times there is something under that. Um, and maybe even asking like, do you truly believe if you were to take all of these actions that you are avoiding, that you could actually change on the other side and maintain that change? Um, I think a lot of times, and this goes for like, in business too, like a lot of times, we see people see people's businesses failing, we see people failing at changing their their bodies and their life because once they actually do see the success, they can't hold on to it. And so sometimes we're actually more afraid of the success than we are yeah. of failing, right? Because it's like, okay, well, once I get there, once I lose the hundred pounds, what if I can't keep it off? And I'm like all of these people where they say diets don't work. So what happens? You don't try in the first place because what's the point? Yeah. So um, sometimes that can be like the the underlying factor but that also is very much tied to a fixed mindset so it's easy for me to say fixed mindset but it can look very different depending on the person too so yeah yeah i mean so much of it i i used to call myself a perfectionist and i think a lot of people will say they're perfectionist <laughs> and i think reflecting on that you know and kind of going along with the conversation is i think it's almost an excuse you know, because I think it's easy to look and say, I, well, you know, I just, I, I feel like I need, it's, it's just not, it's not the right time or mm -hmm. I don't have the right plan yet. Or, you know, and you say like, well, I'm just, a, it sucks. I'm a perfectionist. Like I want all these things right. And then I never end up doing it. And it's like, well, you're kind of just, you're kind of just choosing not to do it. Right. And I think that's, it's mostly being driven by fear. It's being driven mm -hmm. by fear that one, you're going to suck when you start. And mm -hmm. that's a scary thought because you compare yourself to everybody else. Right. And you just look at all these, I mean, I think about starting nutrition, right. And it's like, talk about imposter syndrome, right? Like you look mm -hmm. at Instagram and you see Jordan side out there, you see Lane Norton and they're, they're all talking about these things. And you're like, how in the hell am I ever going to know that much? <laughs> right. And you have to like, at some point you have to remind yourself like, well, there was a point where they didn't know anything, mm -hmm. right? And they had to start and it was a long time ago. And that's why they know a lot more than you do, but it's okay that you don't know anything in the beginning. And it's okay mm -hmm. that you go into the gym and you kind of look like you don't know what you're doing. One, mm -hmm. no one cares. No one's going to be looking at you as much as you think they will be. But I think we look at it and we're like, we're terrified to suck at the beginning. And then even when we get good, like that's such a good point to, to say, 
it's a fear of success, right? Cause you're kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't want, like, it's, it's the fear that if you finally put in all this work, that is this one thing that you're like, I could actually do it, that you're somehow going to mess it all up at the end once you finally get it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more comfortable to just avoid trying to get it in the first place, because then you can never have that moment where you mess it all up. But I think what I would pose the question back to someone like that then is, wouldn't you rather go through all that hard work, all that energy, that journey and get that thing and mess it up at the end, <laughs> then never have done any of it at all. Because if you do, you just learned an insane amount. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that like, especially again, tying it back to like, the nutrition piece or like, you know, starting a business or going on any kind of fitness journey. Like you realize that the people that are doing it the best, they have messed up an insane amount of times. Right. That's just part of it. Like you, that, that whole fear you have in your head that eventually you're going to make a mistake. You will. And mm-hmm. that's, that's where you learn the most. And that's like, so that's where I think confidence is not really this belief that you can do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right. Confidence is the belief that once you make a mistake, you're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think once you kind of get that belief in yourself, you're unstoppable, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. afraid of failing anymore. And that's how you kind of have to be able to move into this place where you finally start taking action. Yeah, no, I love that. And very much is a like growth, growth oriented way of thinking of things and seeing that the mistakes are actually like learning opportunities, right? And like, the truth is, yeah, like you, you reach the 50 pound weight loss that you're looking for. And let's say, oops, two years went by, and you gained 25 of it back. Guess how much more knowledge and understanding you now have to lose that 25 pounds again, it's going to take you a fraction of the time, right? It's yeah. not like, okay, we got to start over from square one again. No, like you're an entirely different, probably person, right? Your identity's probably changed mm-hmm. a lot. Like you um, have a lot more knowledge. You have a lot more understanding. Like you kind of probably know what to do. Whereas before you were like, I, what, how do I do any of this? So like yeah. keeping that in mind that like they, I've heard that before too, from like a business perspective where it's like the person who's made. million and lost that $10 million can make it to $20 million much faster than someone who's just making their first million. Right. So it's like, you've already, you could make make it all and lose it all, but like now you have all the skills and you know how to get right back there. So, Mm. um, yeah, I think that's important to keep in mind too. Yeah. Do you have something that you would say without saying fixed mindset? (laughs) Is there something (laughs) that um, you would say is like the biggest tactical tool to help with client adherence? Um, I actually did an Instagram live today and I talked about three main tools that you can use to increase client adherence. Oh, <laughs> so I'm perfect. Like, what, what, what did I talk about? Uh, <laughs> one, I'm like, okay, well, which one? Um, okay, so let me ask, are we thinking about like for the client to keep in mind or for a coach to keep in mind? Both. Okay. Then I think. Like what is the, I guess like a client coach relationship, right? Like if Mm -hmm. you're thinking about like, as you kind of build out the system together, like what checks and balances do you need on both sides to make sure that the plan the coach gives the client Mm -hmm. is able to actually execute it and wants to execute it. Okay. Yeah. I have like a hundred, but, um, (laughs) let's go with, I think probably since we're talking really about like the relationship and I think this does require like the client to be open to this type of coaching, I guess to a degree, but something I see all the time mistakes that coaches make is that they're immediately providing solutions to their clients. So if Mm. a client is struggling with something, they come back and they say, go try this. You know, it's very much like a, I'm telling you what to do type of coaching, which to be honest, isn't really coaching. It's just telling and prescribing. Um, And now 
the issue, this is, this is good because we can connect it to the client. The clients are often asking for this, right? They say, just please tell me what to do. I just need yeah. someone to tell me what to do. Um, so when the coach says, okay, well, you just pay me $300. So I guess I'll just tell you what to do because that's what you, that's what you want. Um, mm -hmm. But this is not good for the coach. This is not good for the client. This is not good for the relationship. It is not good for progress. It's not good for anyone's success. So the reality is, what is really, really great is if a coach can guide a client to start coming up with solutions on their own. So that means asking questions, asking about things that have worked well in the past, things that haven't worked well in the past, getting ideas from the client before the coach actually provides ideas um, and really engaging the client in like the game plan creation and having the client kind of be in the driver's seat. Whereas like the the coach is sort of the one in the passenger seat with like the GPS, I suppose. So mm -hmm. the client is still the one who's ending up like making the turns, right? But the coach is kind of like, well, this is what the map says. So how do you feel about going that way? But they're ultimately the mm -hmm. ones that are making the decision. So I think that is wildly important and wildly glossed over because of this whole just tell me what to do type of desire from most clients. So for clients, I would say go into relationships, not looking for that. And like note, if you have a coach who is just every single week, like here, go do this here, try this here, do this thing without really asking you questions about what's going on in your life, then you'll run into this and you will notice because you're like, I can't do that. Like, do they not know yeah. what my life is like? What my schedule is like? Did they not hear when I said this didn't work for me before? Um, so you'll you'll feel it in that way. And then you can see how that's like not super great from a coaching relationship perspective. But then for the coach, like I know it can feel a little bit like, well, I'm the expert in nutrition and fitness. And that's why this person hired me. So it feels like you just want to be like, well, well, here's the list of high protein foods if you're struggling with your protein, right? But the reality is, that client's going to be so much better off if you go to them and say you're struggling to hit your protein. Do you know why? Like, what have you tried so far? Mm, what days yeah. did you did you hit your protein? And like, what did you do differently on those days? And have a conversation yeah. about it. Now the client is going to learn more. They're going to feel so much more equipped with skills. They're not going to feel like on like they weren't being heard by their coach. Sometimes it can come off as like even condescending, right? If you're just like, here's a list of high protein foods and the coach is like, I'm so glad I made this pretty PDF that I could just give yeah. them. And, I, and then the client's like, sick, I could have jumped on Google and said, said high protein foods. This isn't really <laughs> yeah. helpful, you know? So I think, and then from how this all ties back into adherence, obviously if you're feeling like there's like some condescending stuff going on there, you feel like you're not being heard, um, you're just being told what to do all the time. You don't have any autonomy or any decision making in the relationship. You're not going to really want to follow that stuff. In fact, they may even be giving you something to follow that does not fit with your life. So you can't follow it. Hence, you can't adhere to it. Right. Um, and from a coaching perspective, it's like you're frustrated because your clients aren't adhering, but you're not actually involving them in the plan making. And you think you're doing something in their best interest and you're helping them, which is where this is coming from for the most part. Um, but it's actually not super helpful. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's one that comes top of mind that I think that there's like a responsibility on sort of both sides to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's a fundamental shift, I think, in how a lot of people coach, like that was the mm -hmm. first couple of people I worked with, you know, I definitely did more of the, more of the wrong one, mm -hmm. I would say, cause it was, you're so like, I get it. You're so excited to share the knowledge, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I got it. I have the answer. Like, you just got to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's start working with people and you realize like, okay, it's not always just that simple. And like, everyone's got a very different life and everyone has different preferences. And John Goodman talks about that too. Just kind of the idea that, you know, I, I think you said like the client's not stupid, you know, mm -hmm. they mostly know what they need to do. They just don't really have the idea or the resources of like how to make it fit into their life. That's where you come in. You, you're the one that's playing life Tetris with, with mm -hmm. all this advice, right. And saying, okay, you know, here's like the main things and the main things we talk about on Instagram. Like I, I tell the things that I tell my clients on Instagram all the time, you know? So you don't like, you can, you can just do that if you really want to. But then when somebody hires you, it's really like the implementation, right? And figuring out, hey, I know I need more protein, but I always get to dinner and I have like 90 grams left. And mm -hmm. I have no idea how to get in more, right? And so then you kind of ask the question of like, okay, well, where's, how's your breakfast, right? Oh, well, 
you know, I wake up in the morning, but like I have 15 minutes before I have to run out the door. So like, I can't make a big breakfast. Right. So if someone in that scenario is like, well, you should just have like five eggs and, you know, just add in a little bit of, right. <laughs> you know, then it's never going to work. Right. So mm-hmm. I think, I think to your point, it's, you have to have that give and take relationship and it's just more listening, right. It's, it's listening. Like they usually have the answer. My, the most valuable thing is when I have a weekly check-in because it's just questions about how to mm-hmm. go, what's the biggest opportunity. And usually the person will have the answer of what you need to do next. Mm-hmm. Right. And the less you kind of force whatever it is, like, I think it's great for us too, because we learn, right. Like you, mm-hmm. you always see these new scenarios come up. You're like, Oh, I haven't really thought about that before. Right. And now, right. now you've learned totally. something that you could use with a different client in the future. So Absolutely. I think that's, yeah. that's so important is like the client, and the person that, you know, if you're listening and you want to make change yourself, like you ultimately have to make the decision and mm-hmm. whether that's for the change right now or for the future, like developing self-efficacy and being able to like understand I can do this is so important to be able to get results in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with all of that. Amazing. Well, is there anything else before you go? I don't want to take up too much of your time, but um, I have a million other questions, but I would, I would love to have you on again for sure sometime and, and keep chatting. Um, but is there anything else that you feel like is just a super valuable tool that someone could take away today um, and just implement in their own life? They're having a little bit of hard time just you know getting started with something or, or doing something consistently. Like what can they do today? Um, I think honestly, keeping in mind, like if you're struggling to make that step, take action, um, like ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? Like what's the worst case scenario? Because the truth is for most people, the answer is, well, I fail or it doesn't work. And and then what though? You're back at where you are right now. So mm. the, your work, you're actually living your worst case scenario currently, right? Um, so mm. I think that that's really important to keep in mind that like anytime you're like, oh, well, if I do this thing and it doesn't work or then I fail and then it's like so frustrating and then like then what? And I won't know what to do. It's like, yeah, but then you're just back to where you are right now. <laughs> you know, like that's your worst case scenario is your current reality. So um, I think that that can be a really, really big perspective shift for a lot of people. So I'll leave you with that one. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I love it. You are awesome, Casey. I feel very fortunate to have people like you out there doing the, the hard work for us on the mindset front. So really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate you. Awesome. All right. Bye everybody. All right, guys, I hope you took away something valuable from that. If you take away one thing today, it is let go of the fixed mindset to make true change. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to leave a great five-star review and hit subscribe to be notified of future episodes. And I will see you guys next time. All right, bye.